Romans 12.1, it says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. <laughs> it's powerful. We're really going to break down. We're really going to get into the story of Luke. Ooh, yeah, I feel the presence of God. Yeah, we're really going to get into Luke 7 here and get into the story. But I want to lay the foundation here with Romans 12. And look at this for a minute. I love Paul's language here. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The word urge is, um, is parakaleo. It's, it's, uh, well, the word para means to come alongside. It's the same word that's used in, in the word for helper, referring to the Holy Spirit, paraclete, the one who comes alongside you and helps you. And, um, and this word to urge means to come alongside and invite you. Isn't that cool? So Paul says, I'm coming alongside you and I'm urging you, I'm inviting you to something. And this is what it is, that you would present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. I love this verse. I love the word spiritual. If you look that up in the, in the Greek, um, it actually is a very interesting Greek word. It means it, it, the, the root has to do with, it's the same root for logos, the spoken word. So it it's, has to do with what is spoken, but it's the communication of an idea. And, and, but, but when it's put into this word here for um, spiritual, it means kind of two things at once. It means what is logical what is reasonable? In other words, like it's the logical conclusion. It is the obvious conclusion. And also it can mean spiritual. Isn't that interesting? How many have ever heard somebody say uh, they're just so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good? <laughs> well, how many know Jesus would have been not much earthly good if that was true? Because his head was always in heaven. And um, and and so. Bringing heaven to earth is our mission, right? So really, the more spiritually minded we are, the more earthly good we are. But I love this word because it brings it together. What is spiritual actually is what's truly logical. And, and, and natural mind, you know, how many know the Bible says the natural mind is at enmity with God? Natural thinking is not actually neutral. It actually is against God's ways. Right. Man's ways are not God's ways. God has ways. He says, as the heavens are above the earth, so are my way, my thoughts above your thoughts, my ways above your ways. They're so high that. And so, in other words, to be truly logical, we must be spiritual. Someday we're all going to stand before the king of kings and everything's going to clear up. And what we thought, right, there's a way that seems right. It seems right to me. It seems right to a man. But in the end, it's destruction, right? It's like, I can think it's so right. I can be so convinced. And yet it's not God's way, so it isn't. It's not logical, right? And so, so lots of times, okay, we're not going to keep going on that. I love that subject. But we do, don't we, like... And oftentimes, here's the reality, oftentimes when I feel stretched by a spiritual truth, I 
defend my position with a logical, quote, answer. I have a reason why I don't have to change. But the truth is, is that we're talking about worship. And, and worship, well, let me say it this way. It is possible to sacrifice without worship. You can bring a sacrifice and it's not even worship, right? We saw it with Cain and Abel. Both brought a sacrifice. One was worship and one was not. God saw something in the heart. So it's possible to sacrifice. It's actually possible to give like everything and have it not add up to worship. But it is impossible to truly worship without sacrifice. And what we're going to see today in the story here of this woman in the alabaster box is that when we are caught up in worship, we do things that look so radical, so ostentatious to some people, so ridiculous and absurd. And yet to the worshiper, it is only logical what I am doing. How could you give that up? How could I not? Right? And you see it in the language, like you see it in Paul. Like, Paul, how could you go and risk your life in all these ways? You, you spend a day and a night in the deep. You've been beaten. You've been in jail. You, you know, you've suffered so many things. How can you do it? And Paul's answer is, Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Paul's like, you don't understand. You're saying, how do you do it? And I'm telling you, I can't not. Like, I can't. I, I could try not to, and yet something is inside of me compelling me. I can't hold it back. That's what Jeremiah said. He said, it's like fire shut up in my bones, right? And he, he, he encountered some tough times because of the message that he carried. And, and yet... If you ask Jeremiah, Jeremiah, why? Why are you going through all this? Why are you doing these things? Why are you putting yourself at odds with so many people? And he's like, it's like, the only way I can describe it is there's this fire inside of me and it burns. I got to let it out. I can't keep it in. And that really is ultimately a heart of worship because worship is more than songs. Remember, we talked about the woman at the well. That was the verse that we've been repeating week after week as a context in this um, mess in this series on worship. That that God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And I would recap those weeks for you, but for the sake of time, I won't. They're on the podcast. Check it out um, if you've missed it. I've been really enjoying it anyway. Yay, God. So, it's possible to sacrifice without worship. But it's impossible to worship without sacrifice. The difference is, when it comes from a true heart of worship, it doesn't, it, it often doesn't feel like a sacrifice. We do radical things in our life that just seem logical. Because it is our 
spiritual worship or depending on your translation, whatever Bible you have. And I like this, that whatever Bible translation you have, some of your translations say it is your reasonable act of service. Now, what I like about that is if you study in the Greek, both translations of those words are absolutely accurate. And I believe you actually need both to fully understand the idea that's being communicated. One is spiritual is logical. And the second part is service can be worship and worship is service. And the context for worship in the Old Testament is sacrifice. They would worship. They would bring us that we're going to worship. Bring out some animals. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to worship. There was an altar. They burned it up. If you understand what livestock and what animals meant in that time, it, it was their food. Right? It was their food. It was their, even their, like an oxen, was even a work animal. Like there's so much sacrifice involved in their worship, but they did it from a heart that says, our God is worthy. All right. So extravagant worship is really simply reasonable. Let's look at this story together. Verse 36, Luke 7, 36. We're going to go to 50. They're short verses, so don't be afraid. Then one of the Pharisees invited, <laughs> invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil. Now, it's like a marble-like uh, stone, this alabaster. It looks a lot like marble. And they would, they would make these... Uh, flasks or jars, containers out of them, and then they would seal them like with a wax seal and it, and it would be sealed and it wouldn't let the fragrance out until it was time to break it open. And so now I just want you to picture this sometimes. Just let this picture kind of form in your mind what's happening here. She she brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet. She was weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. That's a lot of weeping. I mean, realize this. Like, she had enough tears to make his feet wet enough to at least consider it a washing. Man, the tears were flowing. She, then she began to wipe his feet with the hair of her head and kissing his feet, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him. This is interesting. 
the man said to himself, I love Jesus. The man said to himself, and Jesus replied to him. (laughs) He said, Simon, I got something to say to you. Teacher, I love his, yeah, he's like so offended and he's not honoring Jesus at all, at all. And yet his answer is, it looks like he is, teacher, yes, say it. A creditor had two debtors. He owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Verse 43 says, Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You've judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon. So he, Jesus turns, he looks at the woman and he's speaking to Simon while looking at the woman. And he says, he's looking at this woman who's been weeping, washing his feet with her tears and hair and anointing his feet. He's looking at her and yet he's speaking to Simon and he said, um, He said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil. But she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loves much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Powerful. So what Jesus is actually confronting this Pharisee about is that the things that he did not do for Jesus were only customary. It was only right that if if this Pharisee and being a Pharisee, he was probably probably pretty well off, like he was probably doing all right. And so he invites Jesus to him to his house. Now. He offers him no water for his feet. Like someone comes into your house in that day. It's like you give them water. You at least it's amazing, too, right? Because they might have servants that would wash your feet for you. OK, but Jesus is like, you didn't even give me water so I could wash my own feet. You didn't kiss me, right? It says in the New Testament, we see that was a that was customary. Then it was a greeting, Right. Still, if you go to Latin America, you get the double kiss. And on the, it's kind of a side kiss, right? There's my sister Dee here. Hey, Dee. Come on. We've had some adventures together. Uh, um, and, uh, and he's like, you didn't, you didn't even kiss me. You know what he's saying is you didn't greet me. I came into your house as a guest. You didn't give me water for my feet. You didn't even give me a proper hello. And you didn't anoint my head with oil. All these things were things that you would do for a guest. And so really, it's like if you were to invite someone over to your house and just basically ignore them. 
what would you be communicating? Like, you know, he's, he's actually, it's like a slap in the face is what Jesus is experiencing from this Pharisee. This Pharisee is treating Jesus as though he is better than Jesus. And he's surely convinced that he is from his actions, okay? And yet then this woman comes along and it's completely different. She begins to weep. Why is she weeping? Because her sins were great. She had, she, and here's the, here's the other part. She knew it. <laughs> she realized that she had, that her sins were great and that she had been forgiven. And so the one who is forgiven much loves much. Now, spoiler here. This is Jesus all along. He's like, I didn't come into the world. I'm not looking for the righteous. I came to save sinners. This is Jesus's M.O. All right. Now, he set the stage for this because all through, like even in the Old Testament, God's already made it clear. There's none righteous. No, not one. Not one. So if, if you're a Pharisee and you knew the law, you could literally quote the Old Testament, basically the Torah, the law. You could quote this stuff. OK, they all knew that God had said no one's righteous. And so when so they should have been leaping for joy when he's like, I didn't come for the righteous. I came to, to call sinners to repentance. Yes, we're saved. But the Pharisees, like this man here, were like, well, I don't need a savior. I'm righteous. And so to them, Jesus's answer would have been, oh, OK, well, I didn't come for righteous people. I'm just looking for sinners. Are there any sinners around here? Does anybody need forgiveness? Because those are the people I'm here to forgive. And if you don't need forgiveness, then you don't need me. And um, so I'm just I'm just looking for people that need me. And I can fix whatever you got. Isn't that amazing. And so what you have, you, you couldn't have a more stark contrast. You've got a woman weeping the most humble position on her face. I mean, dirty feet, right? Like animal dung in the streets, walking along. You don't want to kiss those tootsies. Like, you know, like you, you don't want to get that on your lips. I'm not sure that tears could have actually washed it and sanitized it enough. You know what I'm saying? Like. It's not that clean. It's, it's not clean at all at that point. Yet she's rubbing her, those feet with her hair. I'm sure it's all over the ground. And just imagine. But she is worshiping with such abandon. Such abandonment that she's not giving one thought to herself. Why? Because she is captivated by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Savior of her soul, the forgiveness. The one who has forgiven her sins. And he who has forgiven much loves much. Now, here's the thing. The truth is. The real difference is now you can compare lives and say, well, this one is worse than this one. And this one is better than this one. And this person committed a felony and this person didn't. And, and according to our system, you know, we can we can judge people who are worse than others. But God looks in the heart and he weighs it all out. And you don't really know, like, what weighs what. And, you know, only God knows those scales. But here's the reality that what the real game changer is, 
is how aware I am of how I've been forgiven. Or how much I need it if I haven't been yet. All right, moving on. And so this man, instead of worshiping, is actually evaluating Jesus. So you got one person worshiping him and the other going, if this man had any sense at all, he'd know what kind of woman this was. She's a sinner. Jesus is like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for sinners. I love them. I love your sinner, actually, and I love you, but the problem is I'm just waiting for you to figure that out, and then, then you'll worship too. And, and so, and this man's like, well, Jesus, if you knew. See, the problem wasn't that Jesus didn't know what kind of woman this was. The problem was the Pharisee didn't know who Jesus was. And isn't that funny how, like, isn't pride and arrogance a funny thing? Because it gives us evaluating people instead of worshiping. You know? Like Lucy's worshiping. I'm like, well, I don't know about how Lucy's worshiping over there. It's a little radical. Jeez, you don't have to do all that. God knows your heart. You know, you can worship, you know, quietly in your heart. You don't have to have tears and raising your hands up and everything. You know? I don't know. I'm just saying. I just remember as a teenager, like when if you went into, you're like, I'm going to raise my hands today. It was like a big old step. Sacrifice. See, when we're captivated by him, not only will we worship in this corporate gathering in a way that's free and radical, but this room is full of people who live their lives in a radical way. You know, a couple examples that come to mind years ago. Um, Amy and I had already moved to Reading. And uh, her parents were moving from Clear Lake, California to Idaho. Now, this isn't worship, but it's a good example. And and uh, so he, you know, her dad had retired and they were moving to Idaho to uh, to um, to retire and enjoy it. He'd been in law enforcement all those years. I think he just wanted to live somewhere else for his retirement. And uh and um, and so we were living in Reading, and man, I don't know. I was working at the warehouse, and we were involved in all kinds of stuff. And they needed some help. And I remember the leap, like my heart left at the opportunity to do something for them. Because they'd helped us out quite a bit in our life. Especially early on. And they, they're just so generous. And they've just always helped us out in, in lots of ways. They've blessed us in many ways. And, 
And have you ever felt like that, like with somebody, like where they, they've done something for you, and then you're like, I don't know what I could do back for you, but I sure am thankful. And I realized, oh, you know what you need? So I remember I, I, I packed up, I, I drove down to Clear Lake, spent a couple of nights there fixing some stuff on the house. They were already moved out. Before that, though, we drove down just to load a U-Haul. You know, so we drove two hours, two and a half hours, loaded up the U-Haul, worked away. And I remember thinking, like, really? You know, you're going to drive all the way down there? You're going to do that? And I just remember thinking, like, are you kidding, man? I finally get to do something back. I finally get to do something for you, you know? Same thing for us, like, even when we, when we were moved originally. When it, all the times... The different times we have moved and transitioned because of the call of God in our life. You know, coming here. You know, we were, we were just, uh, we just completed our, like, paint scheme in, in the house that we're selling. And, um, you know, we got, we got into that house. It was our, we had never bought a home before. So we, we bought our first home. And uh, we closed in September. You've heard this story. But in November... The door began to open up. So we, we, we were in our new house for all of two months. It's okay. Like I heard somebody go, oh, but I'll just tell you that we never felt that. We never felt that. Like we, we, we realized this sounds just like God. That we would just buy a house and then he would call us. And he said, nobody who leaves a house, a home, or family for me, you know, man, you're going to reap in this life and the next, you know. But, but for us, it was not, it's not, it, it's like I was sitting in the house even like last night looking. I finally, <laughs> finally, we had this whole color palette, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm glad I actually just got to see it because in the transition, some of the, some of the things kind of fell by the wayside because we started like going this way instead, right? So you had all these projects that we were doing, and then they kind of got halted. And and I was sitting there, and uh, hear me on this. There's no sadness. It's all celebration. And I was just like, it's amazing that we love this. Huh? We've loved it. We've loved it. It's the first place we've ever lived in that we've actually loved. That's the honest truth. We've been thankful. We've lived in great. We've lived in homes, and it's always felt like home with our family. But it's the first place we've ever lived in that we've loved it. Like you walk around and go, I love this place. You know, like you think that all the time. You feel it. You know. Two months in, we're so we just get it. We're kind of just getting settled still, and tons of boxes in the garage still, and and. Um, and then, boom, we, we realize God is calling us to Weaverville. But you know what's amazing? And this is the honest truth. We never, we never felt, we only felt excitement. We, we only felt celebration. We only felt joy. We never felt Oh, now we have to leave this house. And I was sitting with the Lord and I've had this I've had this joy with him recently, kind of a few times over. Where that thing, I hope you can understand what I'm saying here, where that reality 
has been something between him and I that I've been able to enjoy. Enjoy what? Enjoy that this is amazing because I know that some people would look and go, but you just got there. Man, isn't it hard to leave? And you're like, you know what the joyful part is? It's not. It's not. It's not. And there's actually, there's been an eagerness all along. You know, and for me, it actually felt like, because you know, God, you know what? God's got all the houses. He's got all the cattle. He's got all the stuff, you know. But sometimes we like something we have. But I was thinking, like, this is such an amazing joy, Lord, because actually this isn't hard at all. What a joy. And some people will look, well, bummer. But you're like, no. Because to the one... Who is indebted to the one who remembers that they were bought with a price. That's you and me. It's not our life. We get his life. And to that one, we live in a way that the world and oftentimes even our brothers and sisters and our own own family members Natural family and fellow Christians sometimes. You're crazy. What are you doing? That's ridiculous. But you're like, what is? What's ridiculous? What are you talking? What's crazy? That you would go, that you would give that up, that you would go there. I'd be crazy not to. Because this is my reasonable active service. This is just what's logical. And I don't feel like I have to. It's my opportunity to worship. And we are a house of radical worshipers. And our worship is our life. It's the way we live day to day. It's everything we do. We get to come together here. I mean, we've talked about the importance of the value, rather, of, of the corporate expression of worship. This is also important. It's funny how we polarize it. We talked about that earlier, right? But we can go like, well, your life's worship. We don't have to come to church and worship together. You're like, no, no, it's, it's all. It's all important. It's all really important. Right? Paul said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There's, it's actually a command. In, you know, well, we're the church wherever we are. That's true. But we're commanded to gather. And, and because when we gather, something does happen in this atmosphere that, that is different than happens in our prayer closet, in our home, in our everyday life. It's something bigger. All the gifts come together. But then the way we live our life, the point is this. I don't want to be the one evaluating someone's worship and especially not the Lord himself. This was the Pharisee. He had the Lord. This is the thing. We feel so justified in our opinions, don't we? But when you look at this story, you realize that it is possible to look at Jesus Christ 
himself and be so blinded by my own opinion and my own biases that I'm going, he doesn't even know anything. He doesn't even know who this is. She's a sinner. And Jesus is like, hey, you want to see something? Look at her. You're judging this whole situation. There's something here for you. You slapped me in the face when I got here. You didn't give me water for my feet. You didn't kiss me. You didn't even say hi. You didn't give me oil for my head. Listen, I wasn't going to say anything about it. But if you want to start judging this one's worship, now I am going to talk to you. And, and Jesus begins to tell this man and call him higher. I, I just wonder what came of it after that day. I bet you those seeds produced salvation in some of those guys in that house. I bet you they did. We don't know that part of the story, but I bet you they did. I bet you some walked away being cut to the heart, going, man, you know what? How prideful could I be? Who is this man? We slapped him in the face and he loved us back. I think I got some tears to wash his feet with too now. <laughs> well, let's stand together, okay? I mean, maybe we're not actually breaking open perfume bottles. Maybe we're not actually washing feet with tears and rubbing our hair on people's feet and stuff like that, you know. But I'll tell you what, it sure makes some of the other expressions of worship that we do have, man, so easy. Doesn't it? The Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth led by the Spirit, and worshiping from a place of authenticity. That was this woman. And the one who is in love and aware of their debt that's been paid does things that seem radical to others that are just logical to the worshiper.